Hello, this is Ryan Hendrickson. I'm Dean of the Graduate School at Eastern Illinois University, and welcome to our podcast, EIU Innovate. On EIU Innovate, we focus on research advancements and scholarship and new ideas taking place on our campus at EIU. Today, I am delighted to have with us a truly prolific scholar, uh, Dr. Robin Murray. Dr. Murray has been at EIU since 1998. She is a full professor of English, film studies, and women's studies. She is also the author of six books with her co-author, Joe Human, and also has published more than 40 articles. So she is definitely what uh, would easily qualify here as a prolific scholar, and I know she's got new innovative research agenda items that she's working on too. So I am very delighted to have her with us today, and today is November 7th. 2018, right when our students are working toward their uh, Thanksgiving break and as professors too are finishing up some of their uh, main projects as they start to near the end of the semester. And uh, I look forward to talking with uh, Dr. Murray about her projects as she advances these uh, her, her research agenda. Dr. Robin Murray, welcome to EIU Innovate. Thank you so much. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm so happy you're with us today. You you have published so much, and the titles of your book, you know, we really should have had this before uh, Halloween. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the titles, okay, so let's get our, our uh, listeners up to speed here. One of these books, uh, Film, Environment, Horror, Monstrous Nature on the Big Screen. Uh, another book, Film and Everyday Eco-Disasters. Uh, another title, Gunfight at the Eco Corral, Western Cinema and the Environment. I mean, you've got a lot of interesting work you've done here. So let, let's back up. Um, why don't you tell us, and, and you have another book, too, that's just come out uh, with Rutledge Press 20, 2018, Eco Cinema and the City. What inspires your research? We were inspired early on uh, to explore environmental issues because I've, I've always been an eco-critic, whether I were, was looking at literature or other types of texts. And uh, primarily we started actually building our Vita by finding films that really kind of blew our minds with their eco messages. Now, one of them that stuck out stuck out for us at the very beginning was Pale Rider from Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and of course, in there, he's making a clear message about that type of strip mining, and it's really obvious. We, we know it's an obvious message, but none of the critics were talking about it. And we were really wondering why they weren't talking about that, especially since when we looked at interviews with Clint Eastwood, he mentioned it. He said, that's why I made this film the way I did. Uh, they, they were actually destroying the, the mountains. I, I felt like I needed to show that. It's like, okay, well, perhaps we should explore this since no one else is. So that's kind of where we began with our work. And uh, then we, of course, uh, are really interested in genre films, so we spent a lot of time working with different genre films for our first book, which is about popular film, mm -hmm. and then moved into more specific genres with our our subsequent books. Um, also, we're uh, kind of tying into different kinds of disasters and other and other books as well. Uh, but primarily, we are genre scholars that are looking at genre film through. Uh, at eco-critical lens. Okay, so when you say 
uh, we, you've published most of your work or nearly all of your work mm -hmm. with um, Joe Human, and this has been really impressive sort of co-authorship partnership, and this isn't easy. I've had co-authors before, and sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't work as well. Why has it worked so well in your case with another EIU uh, faculty member? Well, I think what makes it work very well is because we're coming from two different places. Since I'm um, American studies, American literature scholar, he's a, a film guy, and together we, I think, kind of pave the path towards the work we're doing. Um, we also are very willing to argue and come out of that with some good ideas because uh, I, I find that with some folks you have to be really careful about what you say. Uh -huh. But since he's from Brooklyn, <laughs> <laughs> he says whatever he wants and then I can say whatever I want and we get to the point where we have a clear focus. We, we, we know what we're going to talk about with our films and we can work together to kind of build each article, each chapter, each book. Well, uh, it's really <laughs> impressive because you know, you've, you've published on the University of Nebraska Press and the University of Oklahoma Press, uh, SUNY Press. I mean, these are some of the top um, university presses in the United States. So you've clearly been able to impress reviewers and also impress university presses to publish your work. And that's increasingly difficult in this sort of market-driven uh, model that university presses have had to adopt. So I, I'm just impressed by that level of uh, scholarship and your, your ability to reach sort of the pinnacle of scholarship. Well, thank you for that. I mean, I think one of the things that we try to do is to make our work accessible to wider audiences. So we're, we don't just look at fringe films, and we do try to make our arguments accessible to readers. We've, we've, we're really pleased, for example, when our a Western book was reviewed in uh, Santa Fe newspapers. I mean, so because we want real people to be reading our work, no. not just uh, you know scholars in the in universities. Yes. Um, so let's go to. I mean, we could go lots of directions here, but this one title I just have to follow up on: film, environment, horror, monstrous nature on the big screen. I wish we would have done this before Halloween. Yeah, and it, that was such a fun book to, to write. Yeah. Of course, of course, that meant that writing the book, we were watching hundreds of horror films. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I appreciate all genre film. There were some that I couldn't watch as easily as others, but we did maintain our focus on in our chapters on the type of films I could really uh, actually bear and enjoy. Right, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the title itself uh, came out of kind of our ex exploration of nature writing and eco-cinema. And most of the work in that area tends to look at pristine nature, look at you know how we can bring this wonderful world back. And a lot of work on the horror film is missing, I think. I mean, there's, there's a little bit more happening now. But when we were writing this book, there was less written about uh, the horror film or monstrous nature within the horror film or within different types of film because we try to explore monstrous nature not just in your typical horror film but in relation to films that we might not see as horror films. Uh, like for example in our chapter on parasites 
we're <laughs> <laughs> we're we're looking at the bay, which is a, a horrific film about parasites, you know, invading the Chesapeake Bay. Okay, but it's it's coming out of a documentary that's highlighting how you know forty percent of the Chesapeake Bay is dead and the. Part of the problem has has to do with the chicken farms. It's like okay, we can th- this we can build on that. It's okay, the chicken farms are a problem. They're building these hor- these horrible parasites that are going to destroy everybody. So we kind of <laughs> 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 able to explore both of those. So you spent, I mean, at minimum, but this is a two year project, probably much longer. Oh, yeah. But <clears throat> give me sort of a c- concise synopsis of the major theme of this book. Well, we were um, highlighting this idea of monstrous nature through a variety of lenses. So we were looking at um, evolution and its effect on the natural world, for example. We were looking at um, anthropomorphism, and and that was primarily in relation to to cockroach movies. I didn't know we had a cockroach movie expert on campus, but now we do. (laughs) Our listeners know that. There are so... we wanted to do big bug movies, but uh-huh. we we found it was much more interesting to to highlight particular types. Big bugs. Maybe you could work that in the next title of your next oh, book, yeah. right? I'm, absolutely. That sounds pretty good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but so really and truly, we were highlighting this idea of how monstrous nature is not something that's actually been explored, but you can explore it through these. Um, environmental lenses that are taking into account various disciplines because we we try to take an interdisciplinary approach with our work as well so with the anthropomorphism obviously we're going to be working with biologists um, with uh, evolution we're looking at anthropology and uh, excuse me we also did a gendered landscape and the cannibal section and (laughs) so really we just had we had four areas that we were looking at that were in in that highlighting that how the horror film is always in some way connected with nature ah okay because of course vampires and zombies evolve dark nights outside (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay how about uh gunfight at the eco corral Western cinema and the environment. One of my favorite books to write, because maybe because I'm an Americanist, but uh, yeah, that was highlighting how environmental history is underpinning most of the Western films that we see as classics, because they're they're grappling with environmental issues in ways we don't even think about. Um, that like the the cattle ranching films, uh, they're kind of grappling with whether fenced in or the open range cattle ranching is better for the environment. Um, then you, you have something like the Battle of the Ballad of Cable Hogue, which is about water rights. And it, it's so explicit about it, it even includes the water rights law in it. So you it's like wow. I mean they're they're explicitly connecting with what was happening in environmental history in the 19th century and, and how it affected the West. So we really were trying to bring that to light, um, highlighting how the cattle ranching, water rights, mining westerns, uh, the oil and train westerns, all of those really were uh, really based in this, not just history, but environmental history. Okay. And well, Do you have a favorite movie? Well, 
of those uh, films, I really of the Western films, I really love McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I, I, it's from 1970, so of course a lot of people write about it in relation to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. But it, the I love the Leonard Cohen music. It's just beautifully shot, and I mean it's it's also for us um, highlighting important messages about mining and doesn't have the kind of happy ending that you have in that would it's kind of ambivalent but still happy in, in Pale Rider. Okay. So, so how about the most recent book, Eco Cinema in the City? Yeah, um, Eco Cinema in the City was our attempt to highlight more positive images of nature. So we were looking at how um, we can look at nature in the places where we live. Uh, and for the first segments of the book, we were kind of highlighting how sometimes the environments in which people live are not helpful for them. Uh, but then in the later chapters, we were looking at things like uh, gardens and things like you know urban farming and um, how we can make the city more accessible and sustainable and how films are reflecting that and you know, maybe providing a better way. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in that section is about bird watching mm-hmm. in Central Park. And uh, I mean, there are birders in Central Park that are out there year round uh, looking at birds that are, of course are coming from around the world because it's this big green spot in the middle of concrete so it's a re- good resting spot for the birds yeah uh, so that was really fun to to write about and kind of see how birders in urban areas are connecting with the city in really explicit ways so in this in the documentary birders uh, the it's actually called that uh-huh. <laughs> the central park effect um they really explicitly state how important it is them for them to go out in the spring you know in, even though they're city dwellers and uh-huh and have kind of this biophilic mo- moment where they're connecting with the natural world you're making me think of the movie green card oh yeah with, Gira- with the garden yeah so, i'm yeah. so happy you know this oh yeah we we that was included in our garden chapter. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. The garden, the Gerard Depardieu, and uh, yeah, and I forget who else was in the movie, but uh, they had a beautiful garden, and that was the big reason to get that apartment. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the good big reason to 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 marry for the green card. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, when do you write? Well, the we we do a lot of our research. Uh, in, in the evening where we're watching movies. And then uh, the writing time comes um, in little fits and starts um, during the semester. So in, in, in the semester, I, I try to find a, some time on the weekend and do some drafting. Right now we're working on a, a book on the eco-comedy because we, again, are trying another to... Another genre. Yeah, another right? genre. Okay. One that's maybe a little more pleasant. Uh-huh. <laughs> Move away from monsters <laughs> for a while. Move away from the yeah, monsters. Parasites, mm-hmm. yeah. But looking at it kind of through uh, lenses of our basic needs. So we're looking right now at oil comedies because, you know, we see... And this will be in a section on energy because, of course, energy is going to be important to us. Uh-huh. And, but we're, we... Uh, we're looking at like a classic film called Local Hero from 1983. It's it's about 
the attempt to bring oil to Scotland, and Bert Lancaster's in it, and I love him. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, but we're also pairing it up with this really kooky Canadian film called yep. Fubar. Okay. Balls to the wall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's highlighting the oil sands in Alberta, so it's in Canada. So it's uh, kind of contrasting this ability to maintain the pristine with you know with this showing the the horrific oil sands and from a comic perspective is it easy to get these movies to watch them um sometimes it's easier than others maybe um, but it's easier now i think because you can access so much through amazon and through canopy on campus uh-huh. I mean, it's there's a lot more access to some of these things and of course with some of the real early shorts we can get those on youtube they're so they're more accessible than they used to be still have a vhs at the house i do you probably need it sometimes sometimes yeah 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 Yeah, you can convert the vhs to dvd thank goodness too but Uh (laughs) so you write mostly on the weekends during the the semester okay yeah of course in the summer i do have a few weeks where i can just kind of concentrate on it before the summer institute right and we'll talk about that in a minute yeah i would definitely want to talk about that yeah um so before we forget to you've got another you've got articles on bambi and flipper yeah what's up with that well the the bambi piece uh, we have actually a couple of articles Um, one is where we're comparing it with a a, another movie that came out in 1941 and mr bug comes to town and we also felt like people weren't willing to write about animated films and uh in eco-cinema studies okay or eco-cinema and media studies so um we wanted to kind of highlight that so we began by looking at um, animated shorts and that kind of built into our work on bambi and mr bug Um, because you know 1941 was kind of an important year for us of course because we were going into world war ii Uh but uh, bambi and mr bug have very different histories you know chris bambi coming from disney and mr bug coming from the fleischer brothers what we noticed was that they shared a lot of the same kind of hyper-realistic aesthetic, but um, maybe because they came from different studios and had different kind of ways of production, um, the, the Fleischer work kind of had a different message about nature. They were highlighting interdependence between humans and bugs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whereas you, did lot, you did a lot of work on bugs. Yeah, I like, I like the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bambi was you know, highlighting how animals can get along really well, but they have to be separate from humans. You know, you see the, the humans in the, in the background with their guns and their fire. Uh, so it's all about this need to separate. Ah, okay. So those two messages we thought were really in, in contention with one another. Um, but, of course, Disney was successful and the Fleischer brothers went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. How about Flipper? Well, that one was uh, actually about the Cove, um, the, the documentary about the dolphin slaughter. Uh-huh. But the guy that was narrating it and working towards ending the dolphin slaughter, Rick O'Berry, he actually worked with Flipper and the, the, the five dolphins. He was a dolphin trainer. Um, and the reason why he decided to 
stop this slaughter in Japan was because um, he actually watched in his mind a, a dolphin commit suicide in his arms because it couldn't handle being you know so shut up in the tanks mm-hmm. so for him dolphins needed to be free the uh, and he made it his mission to try to save them and uh, the documentary it won a docu- won an academy award because it really did have a powerful message yeah uh, and it was, of course, highlighting the sentience of the dolphins uh, and why it was so important to, you know, maintain them because they were so much like us. Um, and we were actually comparing that, the rhetoric of that film, which we thought was pretty effective, with a couple of other environmental films about the ocean um, or water. One was uh, The End of the Line, which is about the depletion of the sea life in, in oceans around the world. And the other one is about Darwin is Darwin's Nightmare, which is about Lake Victoria. But both of those, I, we thought, were not quite as effective because they weren't um, anthropomorphizing. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're animals. So it's sometimes, I think, more helpful for us to see ourselves in the things we're trying to save. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Well, you've published so much, but you also have a day job. You're a professor, you're a teacher. Yes. And I know one of your main achievements has been working with this, uh, the Writing the Summer Institute. So tell us about that and tell us especially how you work with graduate students at EIU. Yeah, a lot of the graduate students I work with here are, are teachers coming back for their degrees or for their graduate certificates uh, and that's I think primarily because I I was a high school teacher myself I, st- I taught high school for five years and was one of the few teachers who had the kind of education because I, I got my MA at Ohio State that really in- encouraged infusing different kinds of writing in your classes uh, the English teachers that I worked with were primarily teaching literature and then they'd maybe do a research paper. And I really kind of even then looked into the National Writing Project, thought that that would be a way for us to highlight the need for writing across the curriculum within the disciplines, but you know, different types of writing. And so I if after if after several attempts, <laughs> was because I did write the grant a few times, uh, was able to uh, bring the National Writing Project here as a way to connect with the teachers ac- across the region and um, highlight that uh, importance of writing in the disciplines across grade levels. And that's kind of the work that I'm doing with graduate students primarily. So these are the graduate students who can come to your summer writing institute, <coughs> mm-hmm. take, is it six credits, yeah, two, they, two classes? Yeah, six credits. They uh, are immersed in writing and uh, the teaching of writing. So we believe that, that the best writers are writers themselves. So they, they not only do the kind of research writing you typically do in graduate school, but they're also doing the kind of writing they want their students to do. And they're obviously also learning about different types of pedagogies and demonstrating those um, to their peers and, of course, to me. So, but yeah, and that's the kind of work that I continue throughout the school year. Right now, I'm teaching uh, 
composition pedagogies class for grad students and I have teachers as well as uh, graduate students who are going to be maybe teaching freshman comp okay in that class so in your program you can get a writing a graduate writing certificate mm -hmm. and you can also get the masters in English that's right yeah and uh, we do have different concentrations for that we uh, many of the teachers do take the comp ret route so that their graduate certificate uh, translates really explicitly to the MA uh, but we also do have teachers that get the graduate certificate and then also um, move into literature creative writing as their concentrations okay um, yeah this is a really nice way for graduate students to get additional credentials when they can get a graduate certificate and then apply all those credits to a master's degree and we have a number yeah. of programs but yours is one of the ones that's clearly um, enrolling and succeeding and, and doing very well on that front yeah and it is also a way for them to teach dual credit right in their schools um, and if they do need to get a second certificate they can move that towards their English certificate from their whatever their field happens to be because <laughs> we've had that especially with uh, social science teachers mm -hmm. so what have I missed Ecology and Popular Film book, I think you've kind of touched on that because we talked about Pale Rider. Yeah. The, the animation book, That's All Folks, that was one we really had a lot of fun writing, and that's kind of where the Bambi thing came in. But we also were looking at all the different American studios and their feature films, so um, we were just intrigued by how those different studios kind of lined up with different types of environmental history. Uh, so in finding maybe some of them were um, kind of looking back at uh, or what they call organismic ecology, which is, is highlighting the, how we can have an interdependent exp uh, relationship with nature. Uh -huh. But others were like, going back to um, Ellen Swallow Richards and her human ecology movement, which is where um, HOMEC came from, but also environmental justice movements came from, which is focusing in on how humans maybe cause the pollution and they should address it. And that, that's actually from the early 20th century. So anyway, we were, we were really intrigued by how these little animated shorts and feature films could also connect with those different environmental movements. Yeah, you, well, you have these <laughs> books right here, and these, these one of the, the cover, the, the That's All Folks, oh, is yeah. especially a, a nice-looking cover. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a really enjoyable research project, because we can watch movies and determine whether or not they're going to work, and kind of they can maybe build the direction we're going to go with our research too so all right so as a film studies expert we're nearing thanksgiving and then of course nearing christmas too what would you recommend for viewers that of movies that you like that were fun oh i haven't seen a lot in the theaters that um, i would recommend right now I th or just cla even classics oh, okay man i know my kids they, <laughs> they will watch elf oh, over right. and over oh, sure. and over sure yeah 
Elf is lots of fun. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, there's so much now available on Netflix. I mean, yeah. the one and, and on Amazon. I mean, I like even like some of the Amazon films that, like The Big Sick. I mean, if you haven't seen that, I would recommend it. Okay. I mean, so and when you're looking at maybe popular films that are also kind of bringing up new issues that you wouldn't expect, like you don't think a Pakistani guy that's supposed to have an arranged marriage is can be able to marry an American woman, uh-huh. but he does, and it, but you have to go through this really intriguing uh, crisis to get there. Okay. So that's, that's one I would recommend. Okay. <laughs> well, it has been an absolute pleasure hearing about your research and your advancements, and this is, I, mean, I think all of our research we're doing at EIU is innovative, but I mean, this is really innovative stuff. Oh, well, well, thank you. <laughs> you're looking at things in a way that uh, certainly I have never thought about that, but um, and, but you're demonstrating too to publishers and your readers that you're seeing and f- your research findings are just very different and they're finding audiences. Yeah, that's that's our hope. We, we, we are appreciative of all different types of audiences. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. <laughs>